Um, yeah, good morning, everybody. And um, yeah, we're going to keep going with this series that we started last week called The Man, um, going through these passages in Matthew. So we've gone through Matthew 11 to 13. And um, yeah, these, these, these verses and this section of Matthew is all about people responding to Jesus and, and questioning, like, who actually is this man? Um, earlier in Matthew, a couple of years ago, we were looking at Jesus' teaching, and people were really interested in Jesus' teaching in, in Matthew. They say, like, this guy's teaching with authority. There's something different going on here. And then last year, we looked at Jesus' miracles and his healings and his power, and people are impressed that he's able to do these amazing things. And, and now in this section, Matthew is recording just people's response and how they're responding and trying to figure out, well, actually, who is he? And last week, we looked at John's response, even. John the Baptist, who, who was Jesus' cousin and who announced his coming, who last week we, were, we read about how he's in prison and he was having some doubts. And he was, Jesus wasn't quite matching up to his expectations. And he was asking that question, who is this man? And what we're looking at today is, is really um, Jesus continuing on from his response to John and starting to talk to the crowds, because it's likely if John the Baptist is having these sort of doubts, surely the crowds are as well. They're, they're probably asking the same question. Why is John the Baptist in prison? Like, if, if, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he's the one Jesus was, John was predicting, pre- predicting, then why is he in prison? And why is Jesus not doing the things that they expected him to be doing? So they're probably having similar doubts. But Jesus doesn't actually address them directly. We'll see that he does address them, but he addresses them by talking about John. And he pays John this amazing tribute, uh, a public tribute. Um, That's really quite amazing, even because it's in the context of John's doubt. John's just, in a sense, doubted Jesus, but then Jesus pays him this amazing tribute, this amazing compliment of who this man actually is. Um, Around this time of year, you might have even seen on the news... um, there's the, the sort of running of people in the run for Australian of the Year. And they have the states uh, have already decided, so each state has an Australian of the Year. And then um, I think it's on Tuesday they'll announce out of all of those who actually is recognised as the Australian of the Year. And at that time, it's a time of paying tribute to great Australians who have done great things in the last 12 months or over the last few decades and, and for different Reason. So you might have seen um, some people you might know, some people you might not know. Interesting, Brendan Murphy, the, the chief medical officer, is in the running for his work with COVID. Um, Shane Fitzsimmons for his work with the Fireys. Then there's others who are rec- being recognised for their work with homelessness, Indigenous rights and issues and advocacy and support of um, survivors of sexual abuse, support with people with disabilities. Like great Australians who have done great things, who are being recognised for that. And, and it's really cool. Like, it's cool to hear stories of great people who do great things. And it's great to give tribute and to recognize them for it as well. And I think most people uh, value people who do great things. And, and most people want to themselves be great. There's something that we want to make a difference in the world. Uh, we want to have significance. want to achieve um, sadly, sometimes too much in our culture, our value and identity gets tied up in that, and it's like you have to achieve and be great to be worth anything. That's, that's not necessarily good, but I think the desire for greatness is not a bad desire. But the interesting thing is in this passage is that Jesus radically redefines greatness around his kingdom and what it means about to be great and who is great. 
so that's what we're going to look at is sort of the, the theme as we're running through as he talks about John. So I'm just going to pray and then we'll start to look through these, these scriptures together. Yeah, Father, we just thank you so much um, for your goodness to us. We thank you for our country, Lord. Uh, we just thank you for great Australians and awesome things that they've done to support us collectively and, and people in need in our country. And thank you we can recognize them as well. We just, yeah, give you thanks for your goodness and work um, yeah, in our nation. And we just thank you so much for your word and your spirit and Jesus, just your kingdom and how it renews our minds and shifts our thinking. And just really ask for your grace by your spirit to, to hear what you have to say to us today. Um, and just renew us and renew our perspectives and our understanding around this topic. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so we'll, we'll start to read through again. So this is John, uh, as we'll see, it says, as John's disciples were leaving. So John had asked the question. Remember last week, Jesus responded sort of cryptically saying he is who John was expecting him to be, but it looked different. Now it says, as his disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And he starts asking these rhetorical questions. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. So interesting, this whole passage is really interesting, the way Jesus is talking. He's talking rhetorically, right? And he's talking about John, because John was a really big deal, like... Earlier in Matthew, you see crowds went out to see John. Like, he was a significant event that John was doing his ministry. And he even caught the attention of those high up in the religious establishment. They were going out into the wilderness to see John. So John caused big disruption, and, and he was a big deal. So Jesus starts to ask these questions of why. Like, why were people so interested in John? What were they going out to see? Were they going out to see a reed swayed by the wind? which is someone who is just moves with the breeze of the times. They're kind of flippant or flimsy, just going with what's popular, moving with the crowds, moving with the poles, not really standing strong. And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, that was the opposite of John. <laughs> John was not like that at all. No, absolutely not. Jesus says, was he wearing fine clothes? If you know what type of clothes John was wearing, you know that that's not true, right? He barely wore any clothes, like... Or well, camel's skin and stuff like that, weird stuff. So, no, absolutely not. And so, was he wearing fine clothes? No, he wasn't comfortable. So, was his message comfortable? Was his message fashionable? It's, no, absolutely not. He wore strange, probably uncomfortable clothes. He lived in a wilderness, not a palace. He wasn't someone who had been to the crowds or the trends of the day. So, Jesus is effectively saying, well, why did you go out to see him then if you're expecting someone who will just tell you what you want to hear and expecting someone who will just go with the trends of the day or give you a comfortable message? It's like, that's not John. If you're looking for that, why did you go out there? In fact, it's interesting because the people who are in palaces with comfortable clothes are Herod, who's about to kill John. So this is this contrast going on here. In a sense, Jesus is saying, well, when you went out to see John, what, what were you expecting to find? And he goes on, though, in verse 9. He says, then what did you go out to see? You weren't going out to see just someone go with the times or what's fashionable. You went out to see a prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. So again, he's giving John these huge tribute and compliments. And though John is in prison, Jesus affirms that he was and is a prophet. 
that God is speaking to. He was not a pushover. He was a truth teller. He was not fashionable. He was uncomfortable, and he was challenging because he was a prophet. That's what prophets are like. They call people out. They call people to repentance. They speak the words of God, not what people want to hear. And it's amazing because John was the first prophet Israel had had in about 400 years. They'd been waiting for prophets since Malachi, and John was there. Jesus is affirming that what was happening with John was not just a religious spectacle. It wasn't just hype. It wasn't just crowds. It was actually a prophet, and more than that, a prophet who himself was prophesied. He was actually fulfilling Scripture. John was written about before he came and actually is coming in a fulfillment of Scripture. So you can see there's this huge tribute, right? He's a truth-teller. He's strong. He doesn't speak comfortable messages. He's, he's, he's confident in speaking. He's actually a prophet. He's not just a prophet. He's a prophet who was prophesied, the one preparing for the coming one. And then there's this ultimate compliment where Jesus says, Truly I tell you, among those born of woman, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And like, we read that verse, like, you probably read it before. That's a profound verse, right? Who's the greatest person who was born by natural birth in the world? Like, who would you think? Jesus says it is John the Baptist. I've got some math symbols today, if you like math. It looks like this. Right? If you don't know that sign, it's the greater than sign. It's a crocodile. The crocodile eats the bigger number. So it's like John the Baptist is greater than anybody else born of a woman. That's a profound statement. That's a, if you're going to give someone a tribute, you're the greatest person ever born. Right? <laughs> like, that's a pretty big tribute. Jesus actually places John higher than any Old Testament prophets even. And this is the context of Israel and their story and their scriptures. When you think of who's the greatest man or woman, or if you think in the Bible, who's the greatest man or woman, most people would probably say Moses or David or Elijah or Joseph. Like They're the stories we sort of talk about. I mean, John's in the New Testament, but in sort of time periods, he's categorized as part of the Old Testament. Uh, A lot of people like John the Baptist, but I don't know if many people would say, oh, he's the greatest, right? But, but Jesus does. And it's interesting because effectively he's giving this tribute to these people who have gone out to see John, but they don't realize just how great he is and that they're in the presence of the greatest man born of woman, the greatest Old Testament prophet. And they're kind of just making up their minds about John. They're kind of just interested to look. But, but Jesus is saying, no, you don't really realize who he is. But again... He's talking about John, but he's talking about deeper things. And he adds this statement to the end of that verse. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Again, this is incredibly profound. He's made this huge case of tribute to John, but then says, actually, John is at the bottom or not even at the bottom of the new thing that God's doing. And if you're involved in the new thing God's doing, you're above John, which is amazing. He's announcing a whole new era. It looks like this, right? Everyone born of woman, actually John is the greatest, but out of the greatest person born, natural birth, the least person in the kingdom is greater. Like, that's amazing. 
He's saying these people who are involved in the ministry of Jesus are greater. They're the least in the kingdom, even insignificant followers of Jesus, but ones who get to be involved with what he's doing are greater than John. Because John announced it, but he wasn't really involved with it. He was in prison. He was separate. He was a part of the old. This is also highlighting the fact that ultimately those who are in the kingdom are those who are born of a spiritual birth, who have a new birth. There's a contrast of those born of woman and those born of the spirit. Those born of the Spirit who are involved in the new thing God's doing, even the least, are greater than the greatest of the old. And this is not to devalue John at all. It's just simply to say something totally new has come. And the totally new is greater. The least of the totally new is greater than the greatest of the old. Um, One commentator I was reading was giving an illustration of like a horse and carriage. You guys remember when anyone go around in horse and carriage? No, you guys aren't that old, I don't think. <laughs> like, <laughs> but imagine that, like everyone's going around in horse and carriage. Maybe you have a business, you're like the best ever horse and carriage. You don't make horses, but carriage maker for the horses. Right? You're the best ever, you've got the best business, you're the greatest person in the land. And then one day you find out that the car's been invented, a motor car. And all of a sudden you could be the best carriage maker in the world, but the worst mechanic is going to be better than you, right? Because all of a sudden, people want mechanics. It's just a new era. And it's a bit different because John is not just replaced. He's actually been pointing towards this. But he's been pointing towards it, but he hasn't actually quite entered into it. But Jesus is saying those who enter into it are actually greater. He keeps going, though, because he's talking about the kingdom. But again, he's addressing the crowds and their, their issues. He says this, From John, the days of John the Baptist until now, The kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Again, if Jesus says something like that, he's kind of talking cryptically, and he has to because you can't just come out and claim to be a king or claim to be a messiah because you get killed, like John's about to get killed from Herod. So he's being subtle, he's being cryptic, but actually, when we look at what he's saying, he's not being that subtle. He's being pretty open about about who he is, but he's saying you have to listen carefully to hear what Jesus is saying to the crowds. Because he said, John's the greatest, right? Those who are involved in the new thing are greater than John. Jesus is the one who's been announcing the new thing. So who is Jesus? The law and the prophets, he says, prophesied until John. It's a pretty big claim. He's saying, you know, all the Old Testament prophets, all the Old Testament scriptures, they're, they're coming to their climax and they're, they're basically finishing up now, like is what he's saying. Right? They lead up to this point. And then he goes on and says, if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. Now, if you know a little bit of background of biblical prophecy, the end of the Old Testament in Malachi talks about the coming of Elijah and Jews we're waiting for that. They're waiting for this Messiah, this king who would rescue them, but they had this prophecy that Elijah would come first, which is why people were kind of like, is Jesus Elijah? Is John the Baptist Elijah? When you read the Gospels, people are wondering who's Elijah. And Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, John is Elijah. He's the one who comes before. So he's kind of using these cryptic if-then statements, but not saying it. It's like this. If John, then who is Jesus? If the law and the prophets finish with John, who does that make Jesus, right? If John is Elijah who is to come, 
who does that make Jesus? And he doesn't come out and say it. And what we actually find is that he has been talking about John, but actually he's been talking about himself. But he's been talking about himself by talking about John. Because if John is who he says he is, then who does that make Jesus? If John is greater than everyone born of woman, if the least in the kingdom is greater than John, then Jesus is the greatest one. He's the Messiah, he's the king, he's the fulfillment of all Old Testament scripture. He's the center of history, the greatest person ever. Uh, Wilkins, uh, Michael Wilkins is a quote, he says it like this, John is the greatest of those born during the Old Testament era because of his crucial role in preparing the way for the Messiah and his kingdom. His mission was great because of the greatness of the one he introduced. So why is John the greatest person? Because again, John the Baptist is a cool guy, but it's like, would you really pick him as the greatest person ever born? Like, like he's probably not in books like that, greatest hundred people, he probably doesn't a picture there, right? Like, like why, why is he according to Jesus? It's because John is the greatest because he pointed to Jesus. The great, the truly greatest one. John had the role of introducing Jesus climaxing the Old Testament story, the prophecy is all about Jesus. John is the one who brings it all to the end and points to Jesus. Because of that, he receives this tribute as the greatest person born of woman. Wilkins' quote goes on. It says, but those in the kingdom are greater because of their privilege of actually entering it. The least in the kingdom are greater because they experience Jesus. John pointed to Jesus the least, most insignificant follower of Jesus involved in his ministry got to walk with him, got to experience him. And from then on, those who believe in him by the Spirit get to know him and live with him. So they're even greater than the greatest Old Testament prophet, which effectively completely redefines greatness. Because according to Jesus, greatness is proportional to closeness to Jesus, which is radically different vision of greatness. The closer you are to the greatest one, the greater you are. This is not how we tend to approach greatness, right? Like, we tend to approach greatness through how great we are, like how great our achievements are, that we achieve something significant, or that, that we make a difference in the world, or are famous, or successful, or wealthy, or powerful. It's, it's about what we have makes someone great, or what they have, or what they've achieved, or what they've done makes them great. This is totally different. This is saying it's not about what you've done, it's about your closeness to the greatest one. It's about your closeness to Jesus himself. But in actual fact, we kind of do get that in life, because if you've got a family member who's famous, you're kind of famous, right? Like, or if you've got a family member who's achieved something great, like, you have access to them. Right? And there's a sense of greatness and importance that you have. Or if, if you uh, meet someone who's a great man or woman, you normally tell other people and they're kind of impressed by that. There's a sense of importance that you got to be in the presence of someone truly great. Or if you get invited to like a function right, by a celebrity or by a famous person that you really respect, or you get invited to their house, right? like, that kind of makes you great. Like, there's a sense of greatness in being close to someone great. We kind of get that in life. But Jesus is saying that we're actually privileged to be close to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the closer you are to him, therefore, the greater you are in the kingdom. 
which is an amazing thing that we actually have access to Jesus, that if we have faith in him and know him in his kingdom, according to his definition of greatness, we're greater than John the Baptist and all the Old Testament prophets, which is a profound thing to think. I think it's amazing because this redefinition of greatness basically means that anybody can be great, right? Anybody can be great because anybody can come to Jesus and enter the kingdom. He has done everything necessary. All that we need is to trust him and know him, and we can find our greatness in his greatness by being connected to him. You don't have to have skills and abilities. You don't have to achieve great things to be great in the kingdom. You just need to have a heart and you need to have faith to recognize Jesus and surrender to him. You can be least in the world's eyes. You can be poor. You can be insignificant. You can not even be able to get out of bed. And you could be incredibly great in the kingdom of God because you could be incredibly close to Jesus. You could be a nobody on earth but a celebrity in heaven, which is an amazing thing. But... There's a bit of a clarification that you might have picked up in these, these verses. There's a bit of a strange verse um, that helps clarify what this means. Because in some ways, when you talk about people being great, greatness and importance often links up with things like comfort and security and safety and wealth and protection. But we'll see that that's not necessarily included in this definition of greatness. There's this verse that that we read in verse 12. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. This is a really strange verse. There's heaps of different interpretations of it. Um, I don't have time to go into them now. Some some people interpret it more that the kingdom of heaven is coming violently. Um, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that I don't think that really works the best in the context and the grammar. What seems to make the most sense is this is talking about violence against the kingdom, that the kingdom is being subjected to violence, people are raiding it, people are attacking it. And in the context, we see that John's in prison, right? Like, there's violence. He's about to be beheaded. There's violence that's been done against the kingdom. Some, there's already some stirrings and people upset with Jesus, and we know the violence that ultimately will come against Jesus And again, that's kind of where the people are doubting, because they're like, well, if John's so great, why is he in prison? And and later on, people will say, if Jesus is the Messiah, why is he on a cross, right? Like, like if you're that great, if you're the greatest person ever, why are you suffering? doesn't seem to make sense. We see in the kingdom, greatness in the kingdom does not exclude suffering, because the greatest one in the kingdom is the one who suffered the most, Jesus. We can be great, but it does not mean comfort or protection. It does not ensure that kind of safety. In actual fact, it seems more to correlate that the greater you are in the kingdom, the more likely you are to suffer in some ways because of the context in this world. So if the greatest man in the kingdom suffered, if John suffered, if we're greater than John, there's no promise of a carefree life even to be, if you see yourself as great in the kingdom. Um, God will look after us. He'll be with us. He works through us. He brings us through difficulty. But in the New Testament, there's no promise that there won't be trouble. If anything, the promise is there probably will be, but Jesus will be with us in the midst of it. And it's interesting because if we would expect, oh, well, this is great. Like John's great. Jesus is great. In the kingdom, we can be great. If we would expect that that means safety and security and ease and no trouble, then we're going to have a false expectation 
And maybe Jesus' questions about John, he could kind of ask about us as well. Like, if we expect that, that following Jesus should be comfortable and easy and not have trouble, it's like, really? Like, what do you expect following a crucified Messiah? Like, Jesus kind of says that. Like, this is where I'm going. What do you expect? This is what happened to Jesus. If we're aligning ourselves with the one the world rejected, what do you expect? Like, we should expect suffering and to be rejected by the world. That's what happened to Jesus. Um, What do you expect if Jesus is telling us about an upside-down kingdom? Surely his kingdom is going to be different to our expectations. He's going to challenge us. We kind of should expect that, where he challenges us that the greatest one is the one who serves and gives his life. So greatness in the kingdom is not a way to avoid suffering. It does not exclude suffering. That's a challenge. But I think in that there's also a comfort. Because, Because of this, suffering does not exclude greatness in the kingdom. Right, John's in prison, but he's the greatest man born of woman. Jesus is on a cross. He's the king of kings and the Lord of heaven. Right? Later on, Paul will be in prison and, and rejected and die in a Roman prison probably. And he's, he's one of the greatest preachers of the gospel right? and recognized for that. Someone may look like their life is insignificant. They may be suffering. They may be dying. They may be in prison. They may be crucified. They look like their life is a failure, that God has deserted them, that nothing's going well. But though it looks like that, you could be incredibly great in the kingdom because in that place you could be incredibly close to Jesus. And if anything, often the suffering and the trouble and the persecution actually grows us closer to Jesus and greatness is proportional to closeness to Jesus. So greatness is not, in the kingdom does not exclude suffering, Suffering does not exclude greatness in the kingdom because greatness is proportional to closeness to Jesus and Jesus is the one who went to the cross. So we're going to be close to him. We're going to be great, but our lives are probably going to look more like his, which involve suffering. So as a finish, that's basically a challenge. It's a challenge for us to redefine our expectations of greatness. Um, Maybe we're pursuing it in the wrong things, and Jesus' invitation is to pursue it in his kingdom through closeness with him. Um, There's an encouragement to redefine our thinking around that and also our expectations around how that's linked to comfort. But I think as well today, there's an invitation just to gratitude because, I don't know, we're so easy to take it for granted, right? Like, that we can pray. Uh, So easy to take for granted that we have a relationship with Jesus. So easy to take it for granted that we have the scripture and and when Jesus is talking like that, he's saying, we have all these things. Like, it's way greater than thousands of years of people who are waiting to be able to experience some of the things that we get to experience. And we're just so used to it. And we just take it for granted. And, and that's not a guilt thing. I'm talking to myself as well. But it's just a reminder that actually what we have in the kingdom is incredibly precious and wonderful. And the relationship that's available with Jesus is incredibly precious and, as Joel said, costs Jesus greatly and many people before Jesus would have longed to have the kind of access that we have. So there's an invitation to gratitude today as well. So I'm going to pray and then, and then we're going to sing um, as we respond. I just invite you to stand. Yeah, we just ask Jesus that, yeah, your word, uh, as we read it and hear it, and you just challenge us in our thinking, would it, would it go deep uh, into our minds and renew them? 
just really pray today for fresh gratitude and awareness of just the greatness of the privilege that we have in your kingdom. Um, yeah, we just, it's so easy to take for granted, Lord, and we just ask you to open our eyes afresh that we have access to the Father through the Son. We have your spirit. We have your word. We have your forgiveness. We have your grace. We have closeness to you, which makes us great. And no matter what we're facing, no matter what suffering may come, even those can be fuel and opportunity to grow in closeness with you and grow in greatness in your kingdom. And we just thank you, God, for a um, long history of salvation and people who came before you pointing towards you. We just thank you, Jesus. We get to look back on your ministry and your, your word, and we also get to experience you today. And would you just be more and more the center in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, and in our minds? Um, just, yeah, take your place and show us who you are. And we just honor you this morning in your name. Amen.